The mother put the porcelain spoon. The mother drew back and poured the little girl back. But the mother did not hear the old voice. The mother. Experience the heartwarming story of a mother's love that knows no bounds, titled The Mother, written by Nobel Prize-winning author Pearl S. Buck. It's a story of love, sacrifice, and the universalism of motherhood that transcends race and borders, told through an account of an unnamed mother living in rural China in the early 20th century. Get the audiobook right now at radio.cgtn.com or any major podcast platform. Simply search for the Books and Beyond podcast and key in the mother. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing. I'm He Yang. Good to have you for this ride. China has seen more voluntary organ donations in recent years, ranking second in the world. Yet challenges remain. We discuss giving that gift of life. How to facilitate a transparent and fair system for organ donation and transplant for those in the most critical need. How to make people feel more comfortable about this subject, and we'll have a heart to heart with you. If you have questions that you want us to answer on social issues, business, technology, or whatever moves your spirit, you can send those our way. There's a place to do it: ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Emails are fine, but voice memos are always better. And today we do have. An audio clip for you to listen to. For today's program, I'm joined by Yushun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's show, China has the world's second highest number of organ donations and relies on a voluntary donation system. The increase of voluntary donations has reflected a progress in the medicine, people's attitude, and other factors revolving organ donation and transplant over the past decade. That being said, the demand outpaces the number of donors and transplants being performed, which creates a deficit and makes for longer wait times. With three hundred thousand patients in China on the waiting list each year, June eleventh marks China's Organ Donation Day. And to bring much-needed attention to this important and life-saving subject, we have our discussion today. In a thumbnail, Yushun, could you please explain to us what does organ donation and transplant entail, and get into the details, if you may. Yes, according to China Organ Donation Administrative Center, when a life tragically comes to an end, individuals or their families have the opportunity to donate their fully functional organs to patients in urgent need of organ transplants, thereby saving lives and allowing the continuation of life.、Um, organs such as the liver, kidneys, heart, lungs, pancreas, small intestines, etc., which Are assessed to be in good condition can be donated, and in addition, tissues such as corneas, skin, bones, blood vessels, and nerves, etc., can also be donated. And the body can also be donated for people in need or serve as anatomical materials for medical research. Yeah, this is a very matter-of-fact way to look at. The human body and also what we can leave to this world, and some people say this is giving the ultimate gift of life to other people. Some、uh, figures say that you can help as many as eight people, or if、um, to enhance people's lives, up to seventy-five people's lives. As such, if one is willing to become a donor,、um, Josh, you're from the UK and you've done some research on this subject.、Um, What's your first impression, let's say, when somebody brings up organ donation? Because it's still something、um, I wouldn't necessarily say taboo in China, but people do see this in sort of like a mixed light. Yeah, well, it's not. There's not really. It's not definitely not a taboo subject in my country.、Um, it's something that we talk about a lot. Oh,、um, growing up, and we even have in certain parts of the United Kingdom, like Wales, we have opt-out systems 
And what that means basically is that you are automatically on the organ donation list unless you actively opt out of it. So you don't, it's not that you have to opt in, you have to make the effort to opt out of it. So this basically means that, yeah, you have to explicitly refuse not to do it. Um, and since the introduction of the opt-out system, that actually happened in Wales in 2015, the consent rate in Wales increased from 58% to 77% between um, 2015 and 2021. So, um, and I grew up with these kind of discussions and conversations. So it's really not a particularly taboo subject in the UK, to be honest. Yeah. So in England, though, it's still an opt-in system, right? That basically people have to actively yes. sign up to register and donate their organs after death, and which is the majority yes. of most countries around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, here in China, we are an opt-in system, and still, I think it takes a lot more information um, and just discussion for people to even get familiarized with the idea. And here's to give you a little bit of background of the progress of organ donation and transplant in this country. In May 2007, the state council issued the human organ transplantation regulations. In 2011, the amendment of the criminal law made it clear that organ trafficking was a serious crime, providing legal guarantee for the crackdown on related illegal acts. And the year 2015 was a milestone when China stopped using the organ of executed criminals and began to rely only on voluntary donors. And the total of number of donations in this country has improved, which ranks world's second place, but donation rate is not that high. And could you give us an overview of mm. the organ donation and transplant situation in China at the moment now, as we have seen new changes have emerged in recent years. Yes. The latest data from the China Organ Donation Administrative Center shows that as of, as of now, there have been over 6.26 million individuals who have voluntarily registered as organ donors in China. Over 45,800 cases of organ donation from deceased individuals have been completed resulting in over 130,000 donated organs and saving the lives of over 100,000 patients with organ failure. And currently, as you said, Heian, China ranks second in the world in terms of organ donation numbers. And there are 183 hospitals in China with the qualifications for human organ transplantation. However, the total number doesn't mean that the donation rate is high as well. Guo Yan Hong, director of the Medical Emergency Management Department of the National Health Commission, stated that in the past three months, China has completed 1,594 cases of organ donation from deceased individuals, representing a 13% increase compared to the same period in 2022. However, this number is still far from sufficient considering the approximately 300,000 patients in need of organ transplants in China each year. So in 2022, China's organ donation rate per million population was 3.98, indicating that there is still a certain gap compared to the international advanced level. As we can see, some of the countries can reach to even 30 to 40 in this number. So we can see there is still a huge improvement space in China. Mm. And like the example that Josh mentioned earlier of Wales, that if it's an opt out system, then it assumes that everybody is willing to give up their organs for donation if the day comes and um, and you actually have to sign out of it and make that conscious effort to do so. And then, yeah, like in theory, that would really increase the uh, the numbers as such. Um, Josh, what do you think of all of this? And also, also offer us some of the international numbers in that area, please. Yeah, well, I was brought up in the United Kingdom. And so these kind of systems don't seem that strange to me, even though I wasn't brought up in Wales. I was brought up in England, um, both part of the United Kingdom. Right. Um, and uh, however, I, I do understand your reasoning and I can I can understand how that seems a little bit invasive to a lot of people. Um, the idea that 
you have to actively make a choice to opt out of something that seems so personal, I guess. Um, but yeah, for, for me personally, it doesn't seem that strange because that's where, where I was brought up, right? Um, I guess uh, to give you some of the figures then, well, I think one interesting comparison that I can give you internationally is the difference between the UK and the US. So according to the latest data that I was able to find in terms of the number of deceased donors per million of population, apparently this is the term in English, DPMP, deceased donors per million of population, the United States reported a higher rate than the United Kingdom um, in 2021. The, the US, this is the latest ones that I can find, the US reported 33 33.7 donors per million, while the UK reported 20.3. It's significantly more, actually. Mm. It's like it's like 33% more, right? Um, so I think that it's also important to note, though, that a lot of these direct comparisons, statistic comparisons, statistical comparisons between countries um, can be quite difficult, I think, because of the difference in donor registration systems. Um, like the criteria for what is considered a donor, for example, cultural differences as well. Um, and of course, people can donate organs without being deceased, right? Um, depending on the type of organ that it is. So these these statistics can get quite confusing, actually. Yes. And but it still offers us sort of a point of comparison, of course, with the yes. caveat in mind to better understand the situation. And here in China, we're seeing that in recent years, those um, younger people seem to be more accepting of this idea to register that one day they will donate organs. Right. A lot of statistics are showing that young people are rising in organ donation volunteering. Those born in the 1990s represent the majority of donors, uh, which is 55%, while those born in the 80s account for about 30%. And the number of young donation volunteer reflects that a younger generation values life differently. Josh, do you see a similar trend with younger people in your country, for example, to be more welcoming of this idea to sign up for organ donation? And also, you know, just this thought of after one dies and your body could be utilized in that way into parts and pieces to go save other people's lives. I mean, one has to admit there is a little bit, um, um, there, there is part, <laughs> part of it that is, um, you know, just a little bit difficult for people to grasp when you don't really want to think that much about death, if you see what I mean. Well, yeah, I, actually, I do have some uh, information here. There are some studies that suggest that younger people tend to be more willing to donate, and I have some reasons why as well. Mm -hmm. oh, according to the UK's National Health Service, Blood and Transplant, um, the NHSBT, young people between the age of 16 and 24 are the age group most likely to register their organ donation decision. So this is in my own country. And in contrast to that, um, to give more context, older individuals are often the, the less likely to, less willing to donate their organs. I think there's several factors that drive this trend and it's still quite difficult to identify exactly why, but young adults, I think are probably more likely to see organ donation as a more straightforward decision, which I also know that, that you can interpret what straightforward thinking is in many mm -hmm. ways, right? And I think they're less likely also in my own country to have religious or cultural beliefs that may become barriers to donation. Older adults, on the other hand, um, are more influenced by their social and religious beliefs in my own country, which often concern things like death and the afterlife. Um, and also, older generations may also have complex health conditions um, that make them more unable to donate as well, for example. Um, so, yeah, uh, um, the, the actual incidence of donation, though, it must be said, among young people is still relatively low. Um, this might be because the age group is low on the priority list of organ transplants, if that makes sense. Um, but 
yeah, younger people, it seems, are more likely to do this. Yeah, and in China, many Chinese people have long religious tradition and culture of which we value leaving the body whole after death. And that makes the availability of organs for transplant even more limited. And that's just a fact of what people believe in. And Josh, you mentioned something along the lines that older folks in your country might also have um, these kind of thoughts about uh, organ donation. But I mean, obviously, it comes from different different places. But um, but it is something quite difficult for for a lot of people, particularly in this country, to sort of wrap their heads around. Um, yes. Yeah, tell us some of these factors and reasons. And I think that's, first of all, one part. And um, when we're talking about young people are more willing to donate, I think it's not only about the changing perception towards organ donation, but also young people's perception towards death. You Mm -hmm. know, they just don't think... It's it's, going to happen long, long, long in the future. it's, It's after death, you don't have any feelings and um, why don't we just do something good with our functional organs? And um, yes, when talking about the influence of traditional beliefs, maybe not a lot of young people just have that kind of idea anymore. But there are still a huge percentage of Chinese people are still in this kind of belief. And um, there is a perception that when they pass away, their bodies must return to their motherland and they believe that if they donate their bodies, they will not be able to return to their roots. And as a result, they are hesitant to donate their organs. And also in traditional Chinese ethics, the majority of people wish to preserve their bodies intact upon passing away. Therefore, very few individuals are willing to have a specific part of their body or that of their family members removed or used elsewhere leading to the you know the resistance towards organ donation yeah even for some people the thought of post-mortem autopsy is something that's off the table and you know organ donation is something you know even bigger than that i suppose so yeah it does come in conflict with some of these traditional ideas and views and they still run deep to a certain extent in society but it's also interesting to see that you know some of these beliefs that are embedded in society are up for change as well and when we talk about organ donation it is closely connected to transplant because That's what people want to do. That's sort of like the cause of this, right? And that would incur costs. Although, you know, it doesn't make one feel good. And speaking of cost-effect-benefit analysis as such. But if we had to look at some of the numbers, and this is something that is impeding people's decision, Yushun, could you tell us a bit more about what's in people's minds when it comes to these numbers of cost. Yes, a lot of people will have hesitation on the cost of uh, these uh, organ transplantation because you people, mean the surgery. Yes, I mean the follow-up cost mm. because they think donation. The donation is voluntary and it is uh, unpaid, but people need to pay a lot for the surgeries, right? And follow-up treatment and treatments. Things. Yeah, and yes, of course, that is, I think, the reason why. It is very expensive because after you have that kind of organ, you need to pay for the surgeries, for pay for the operation and follow-up medication treatments. So from the perspective of a recipient, the high cost of transplantation is also one point that the donation rate is quite low because the following-up medication for transplantation can be very expensive. But this including the you know, geographic factors will also be included into the evaluation of this patient that is qualified enough to receive the organ. Yes, the medical process can be lengthy and it comes out of one's pocket and it might be too much a financial burden for some people to bear. And 
I think it, it's important to find out ways to make it more affordable for people to offer some financial support, you know, for people who are in these dire needs. Um, but when you look at China as a country, I mean, even just with the waiting list is so long of 300,000 people uh, waiting for a transplant. Um, yes, this is one of those really complicated issues. And Although the procedure of organ transplantation has become widely accepted, um, there are still a number of ethical debates around related issues. One could be fair organ distribution, because what you just mentioned, uh, Yushun, is relevant to this as well. Let's say if, um, well, usually there are multiple criteria that goes into deciding who's up next for an organ to become the recipient of an organ transplant, but um, how to build a system that is transparent and fair, and that also in turn affects people's willingness to join a system as mm -hmm. such. So, Josh, looking at internationally, the experience in this area. Do you have some observations to share with us? Um, I think that there's a lot of barriers to donation. Um, and to maybe add a few more points onto what you should just mentioned, I think that some of them um, include things like certain medical conditions and certain medications taken by the donor may make the donation unsuitable. I know that that's one of the uh, main factors in my own country um, and also I think uh, a lack of awareness and education I think that for everybody the idea of donating organs is quite scary I think that many medical procedures just seem completely abstract and almost um, unreal to us and so I think there's a lot of misconceptions and myths about organ donation and this is obviously a barrier to consent um, I think that a lot of people believe falsely that doctors will not save the life of a registered organ donor or that their body would be disfigured after donation or something like this. And uh, obviously, uh, to increase the number of donors, we've got to develop some of these strategies to address those factors. So I know that when I was in school, we in the UK, we talk about all kinds of things growing up, but organ donation was rarely one of them. I, I remember it being mentioned in my biology class a couple of times, but it wasn't really mentioned. I don't know about you guys growing up, and I don't know if you think it should be, but it mm. wasn't when I was growing up. Do you think it should? Yeah, I mean, should or not? I think that's one thing, but also there's that worry of, is everybody or the majority of society or majority in the school ready for it? You know, and I think that's probably why it's not being mentioned. Yeah, all of these uh, events, are the things that can strengthen the promotion of these, the idea and the awareness of organ donation throughout society. Also, more completed laws and policies are, must be a foundation for the promotion of organ donation, right? So apart from gradually changing people's perception of death and organ transplantation, legal measures must also be put in place because we need to face the ex expectations of patients and donors in a more open, fair, and transparent manner. So we can see according to the legislative work plan of the State Council for the year 2023, the draft revision of the regulations on human organ transplantation will be reviewed this year, and the aim is to strengthen the praise and guidance for organ donation, uphold the principles of voluntary donation, and improve the conditions and procedures for organ donation based on the civil code. Mm. Yushun, so if one has this idea, tell us how to do it. How to become an organ donor today in China. Yeah, you can visit the local Red Cross Society Organ Donation Management Agency, fill out and submit the voluntary registration form for organ donation, or you can visit the website of the China Organ Donation Administrative Center or the WeChat official account to register online. And once you registered, you will receive a physical or electronic registration card for organ donation. 
is Roundtable with myself, He Yang. Coming up next, Roundtable's Heart to Heart. D-Dive, a podcast of CGTN Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Yu Shun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, we'll have a heart to heart with you. Every week, we try to answer your questions, but we'll need you to send your audio clip or voice memos first. And there's a place to do that: ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Audio clips are preferred, but emails will do. And if you're so kind, please also include your name and the region of residence in your audio clip, so we know a little bit more about you when we are answering your question. And for our car owners out there, think about this: How would you feel if you had to pay a monthly fee to warm your car seats? Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. When you're there and you're so inclined, please give us a five-star review. It will help other folks find the show. Now, let's have a moment of heart to heart. You ask. We answer. Roundtable, heart to heart. Who's got a question for Roundtable? Hello, Roundtable. I'm Xiao She. I've listened to you for two years. Thanks for your fantastic topics. I like He Yang's voice, Liu Hongling's utterance, and Huang Shang's cadence. Today, I want to talk about vocational discrimination. Since I graduate from my college. I've performed as an accountant for 15 years. Honestly, it's hard to say whether I love it, but which my family burden depends on, from basic maneuvers to complicated analysis, laborious work day by day. Many beautiful ladies still stereotype me as some numeric nerd in their hearts, although they flirt with me on lunchtime for my charming face and figured body. Even my wife. When I ask her how many shoes did she buy this year, contemptuous facial expression insinuated that, as if I am a miser. Why the vocational discrimination emerges? Data from the State Statistics Bureau. Now, nearly 25 million people engage in the accounting work. Obviously, the threshold is not too high. Objectively speaking, there's two types accountant. Prodigies and common men, the first one who graduate from prestigious universities, had working experience from big four accounting firms, got a CPA certificate, became one percent of peers. For examples, Zhang Yong, the current CEO of Alibaba, was the most successful one. The second one, who graduated from common colleges or vocational schools. Faced arduous and durable work every day, should balance our physicality and mentality. Most of us will be laid off in middle age, or be replaced by machines in the near future. What shall we do? Thank you, Roundtable, Laimi, and Josh. I appreciate you too. <laughs> Thank you very much, Xiao She, for sending in your. Audio comment and question, and due to the limited amount of time we have here, we had to shorten your audio clip a bit. And you also talked about trying to find peace in、um, the future when maybe the work condition is going to be even more challenged because, well, there's AI, there's、um, you know all of these. Unprecedented and unexpected things that will emerge. We just don't know what they will be, but we most likely will encounter them in the future. So,、um, 
Yeah, Josh, what do you have to say to Xiao She? Well, Xiao She, thanks for calling in, and um, we always appreciate questions. I must say that I'm slightly confused about your situation here. Um, I, I wonder, are you? How difficult is your situation? Because it sounds like you've got a lot of great things going for you, sure,、um, and it and it's it sounds like you have a lot of confidence, and I think that you should utilize this and. I guess if if you want to make make a change, then you should probably go for it because it sounds like you're maybe maybe sound is sound can be very deceiving, but it it sounds to me like you've got it together. Great, I love to be <laughs> you know together, but I'm far from that. But、uh, yeah, in the email that Xiaoxia sent us, the title is vocational discrimination.、Mm. Um, yeah, what do you make of our listener's situation, Yushun? I would say that's probably kind of um, um, stereotype that Xiaoxiao was facing. So I would like to say, stereotype sometimes can be、um, frustrating and limiting to you. But it's important to remember that they don't define your abilities and your potential, right? And by the way, as an accountant, your English is quite good. But I'm not sure if that is also a stereotype. Why an accountant cannot be good at English, right?、Mm. Um, so it's worth noting that stereotypes are not always negative or harmful. Sometimes、um, they can provide a general framework or understanding of a particular profession or role. However, problems may arise when stereotypes are overly simplistic and limiting, or perpetuated without considering individual abilities and talents. Yeah. So. So you need to remember that a lot of people don't know about your profession, and they're just saying. And then I think I don't think you need to take any of their words、uh, because you don't need any validation from them, right? I would like to say it's not just about proving others wrong, but also about embracing your own capabilities and finding fulfillment in your work. I don't think he has any trouble in doing any of that. <laughs> I understand the issue now. Yeah,、um, maybe yeah. what he's trying to get at is occupational stereotypes. It's like, believe it or not, in real life, people assume that He Young is this person that is constantly happy and permanently energetic. And yeah, and it's like, okay, you host a radio discussion show in English, and therefore you should be a perfect candidate to host my wedding in Chinese. And I mean, I appreciate you know somebody having so much confidence in what I do, but it doesn't really work that way. And、uh, yeah, so there are these stereotypes and these expectations or assumptions about who. You are just because of what you do, and without even knowing much about what you do. So, on that level, I can kind of relate to what Xiaoxu is saying here. Well, I guess people are always going to have these stereotypes about you. I know, also for myself, people have so many stereotypes about me, and I guess that at some point you've just got to accept that that's how it's going to be, and it's there's very little that you can do. To dismantle them a lot of the time, so the the thing that you've got to do is accept them and try and focus on your own goals, your own mission, and you know try not to stereotype other people as other people are stereotyping you, and that's probably going to put you ahead of a huge amount of people. So that's that's the only thing I could say. That's what I've done anyway, or I try to do. Yeah, and also I really. <laughs> I really envy that confidence of just looking at people and think that they are flirting with you. You know, <laughs> yeah. Never have I lived a day like that. All right. If you like what you hear, please send us your voice memo or question to ezfm roundtable at foxmail dot com. Coming up next, how would you feel if you had to pay a monthly fee for your heated seats? In the car you already paid for. Stick around, everybody. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of Roundtable with myself, He Young. 
and I have Josh Cotterell joining the discussion online and Yushun in the studio. The new car models today are so smart that some people call them a computer on four wheels. And just like a computer needs updates and patches for their operating systems, cars sometimes need OTA or over-the-air updates, which is a wireless delivery of new software, firmware, and other data for better driver experience. Now, some automakers charge drivers recurring fees for vehicle features such as heated seats and remote start. And the problem is, aren't these features free at the moment and have always been free in the sense, well, you already bought the car and Mm. then it comes with these features. So what's new this time that's garnering people's attention? Yes, according to a report by Workers Daily in early June, several car makers have offered membership services to its customers. However, some car makers are charging for some basic features of the car, which has led to complaints and doubts from customers. And we can see as there are more technologically advanced cars on the markets, we're seeing more paid services when buying cars, especially these EVs, right? Car makers are charging users for services like optional automatic driving service and internet service on the car. But when car makers charge fees for basic functions, customers are not very happy with it. Um, The reports also shows that some car brands adopt a paid membership mode, charging customers for basic functions such as heated steering wheel, heated seats or seat ventilation. So I think uh, what consumers are unhappy with is the functions or more like hardware that are built in the cars. And these shouldn't be charged because they are not like software services that can be updated and supported by the car makers later. And even if it's an over the air software update should it be charged extra i still have a question for that it's like with your windows system or whatever ios system on your smartphone when it gets an update do you pay for it no josh what do you think about this well i don't think that our phones have everything and yes when we get a new update on our phone usually it's free but there are many extras there are many ways you can update your phone that you do pay for you can pay for more storage for example um Mm. there's all sorts of extra apps that you can pay for there are loads of upgrades that you can pay for that are slightly different to an update so i guess i guess it depends on the, the necessity of the function something like heated seats is that a necessity or is it a luxury if car manufacturers start charging extra for things that are necessary like airbags or something, oh, no. then I would I, I would understand, right? I would be like, well that's absolutely ridiculous. But I can I think something like heated seats is somewhere on the line. I guess it's kind of a necessity, but it's also not at the same time right now. So I think it really depends on the necessity of the function. And if it's not necessary, if it can be considered a luxury, then I guess this was an inevitability because we see people being charged for extras on all kinds of other technology. Yeah, but this used to be free. It's always been free. And it's not even... No, that's cons- the problem. And yeah, right? So it leaves um, a real bad taste in the, in, in the mouths of uh, motorists or people who have already paid for your expensive car, you know? And shouldn't it be like, try to come up with more real luxury features like what Josh just mentioned, design new stuff, be innovative, you know? And then if you charge that, then all right, maybe you can get people on board. What's next now? What, when I roll down my car window and you're gonna charge me for that as well? Okay, it's pretty obvious where I stand, where I said. And also, I think uh, why these consumers are, are furious is that um, these things are like add up policies. 
um, if the car makers are informing all of these consumers that, okay, the, if you want to use this service, then you need to pay for it before they buy the car. I think customers can accept that. But if you are just using OTA and informing customers, okay, now we are banning this function. If you need to use it, you need to pay for it. That's not reasonable at all. So you think when you're at the car dealership before paying for the car, getting a notice that, oh, one, two, three, four, five, X amount of features in your car will be charged once you use them and you'll be okay with it? That will make me think that I didn't pay for that. So it's okay that to not use it. Well, only if you can erase the memory of a whole generation or generations of motorists and car owners and fool the newcomers to the market, then, then maybe that might work. But still, you know, we've always had it for free. All of these um, car automakers, you know, they used to sort of give you this as a regular feature. And now, but do you think it actually deserves to be charged? Have they done anything new with, let's say, a heated car seat or any of these um, features that they're now, they, they want to charge you? That depends on the customer's idea, I think. Uh, just like your paid services on your phones. Some people think that, okay, extended storage of cloud service is not necessary, but some people just, you know, totally rely on it. So. Mm. You, you got options, you can choose to buy it or not. And I think that is also the point there. Um, you need to give consumers choices to choose. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the company policy for these cars might vary hmm. country to country. It's like they might, well, I'm not going to name the car brand here, but it's not selling the uh, seat warmer subscription in the U.S. Does it not want to enrage U.S. consumers? And in countries such as the U.K., Germany, New Zealand, and South Africa, apparently the car maker is slowly putting features behind subscriptions since um, 2020. Yeah, Josh, how do you feel about this? You know, it's not like everybody's getting the same treatment and also getting people to pay for something that used to be free. That's got to be a difficult job anytime. Yeah, well, exactly. I think that people don't like change and people love free stuff, even if it's not really free. We like the idea of, you know, I, I think that, as you said, taking that away from somebody can really sting. And I think that also the car, just as a sort of, space as an abode of sorts right we the car is i think people sort of see it as their second home a lot of the time people really invest in that and it's a safe space it's a place where you're kind of cut off from the world and then to have these sort of subscription services nudging themselves into this somehow i, d I can see how that makes people feel quite uncomfortable because i think people like to th think that when they buy their car it's theirs and they should have everything that they want within it. But I guess the reality is, as you mentioned before, that they're basically computers these days and you're basically driving around in a massive computer on wheels. And so, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to me that these subscription services are becoming more commonplace. Um, but again, is heat seating? Because this is one of the example, I've seen this example in a few other models as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I won't name the brands either, but seat heating seems to be coming up quite a lot in my research so i wonder do you guys consider this specific function to be a necessity or a luxury i think it also depends on where you're driving this car if you're at the north pole mm. no, then it's a necessity <laughs> <laughs> but if it's in beijing uh... well in the winter in beijing yeah, yeah, you don't really want a cold rear end. If we are specifically talking about uh, seat heating, uh, I have never experienced, you know, heated seats in my entire life. So, uh. um, and you know, the seats of the car, it's it's sofa-like seats, and I don't think that need any heat up or... You haven't been to a super cold place, I think. Uh, oh, there maybe. was once, it was minus 18 in Beijing. Oh. It's very cold and uh, yeah, it would have been nice to have that, that feature. I'm a motorist and I have this um, navigation 
function that comes with my vehicle, which I never use mm. because it is so bad. And it has to be updated ever now and then. And it's supposedly a free service. Have I ever used it in the many years that I've owned this car? The answer is no. And I just think that, you know, when you start charging extra with any of these features, it, it might be kind of discouraging or it's an unpleasant feel for your customers. I think this kind of goes back to what's considered basic and uh, what's considered as, you know, software slash luxury slash you need to update this and pay for it as well. Because um, if it's the hardware basic stuff that you guys mentioned earlier, then it's just much more difficult, I suppose, to persuade people to pay up. And if you are talking to a miser, well, our listener Xiaoshe did use that word, and consider myself a miser when it comes to spending on my car it's just very it's impossible to get me to spend more than just petroleum and um the annual insurance policy as such so guys what do you think is in the minds of car makers in rolling out these policies it's just to make more money right yeah, I think so. It's just a way of extracting more profits from their consumers because, uh, first of all, car makers are actually embracing these kind of uh, subscription services because, because this is a new way to earn profits and especially for EVs. Compared with uh, traditional cars, EVs may need less maintenance. Therefore, car makers need to seek new business opportunities like this to make the customers to visit the car dealership more often so that they can, you know, promote more services or more products that they can make profit of. Yeah. Okay. So I think the business model is pretty simple and straightforward. That's what all businesses want to do. That is, they don't just want to sell you the product, the hardware, but they also want to sell you the services that comes after you become a user. Hmm. But are they doing it in a smart way? Um, Josh, what do you think about these intentions of the car makers and how they're going about, well, the bottom line, making more money? Well, yeah, of course, that's what they're there to do. They're there to make money. They're a business. But I think that there's a lot more to it, actually. Mm. And subscription services, they offer a lot and they offer a lot of useful things that are more and more necessary in this today's consumer market. Um, aside from just additional revenue streams, there's also a lot more customer engagement. There's an active ongoing conversation with the customer with this kind of thing. And this results in a lot of brand loyalty. It's almost enforced brand loyalty because of course, if you've subscribed to a service for let's say a year, you're more likely to stay engaged with that service and stay engaged with that manufacturer. I mean, just look at the way that Apple does that with its products. It's got users subscribe to all kinds of things to the point where you look around and all you've got around you are Apple products, right? And this is one thing that subscription services help with. Another thing is, is data collection. This is also really important these days for brands as well, because these services provide them with really valuable data that can be used to improve the next product. Let's take seat, uh, heated seats. This is like a tongue twister, right? Let's take <laughs> heated seats as an example, right? A lot of sibilance there. If they bring this out a subscription service and they realize that hardly anybody is actually subscribing to it, maybe in their next model of car, they won't put so much time and investment and R&D into the seat heating, right? And things like this can be really valuable for the car manufacturers too. Mm, yeah, and like remote start um, and also other ways to make your car smarter. But still, I would just encourage car makers to put your dollar on the right place of R&D and truly come up with something new that that doesn't bore people and make them feel like you're just treating me like a cash cow and and a ripoff and that doesn't make your customer feel good and there are plenty of brands out there that one can shop 
Not like one would change a car that frequently, but when I get a chance to do so, I'm gonna find something that I truly align with, with my belief and my habits and experience that one wants to go for when you're driving. And also, I think that is the way that these car makers are trying to cultivate consumers' consumption habits. You know, especially when、uh, you are changing the habit of. Consumers could use it for free.、Um, we saw that so much criticism online back then when all of these phone brands canceling the free headphones, right? And a lot of people are just criticizing why it's supposed to be free and you are not offering it. And now I think these car makers are doing the same thing,、uh, thinking about the profits that they are going to make out of it. Maybe some criticism are also acceptable. I think it's also important to mention that there's actually a lot of benefits for the driver as well here. I think we've been slamming this service quite hard、uh, during this segment, and I think that arguably it does provide a lot of convenience. The recurring fees allow drivers to access extra services without having to pay upfront. This can, in theory, make it easy for them to use and enjoy certain features of a vehicle that they want and they don't want, and There can be predictable costs in this sense. Maybe with monthly or yearly payments, drivers they can know exactly how much they need to budget for certain costs and services. I know that I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here, and really it is the manufacturers that are probably going to benefit from this. But this access to additional services and availability of services by subscription service, it it can provide access to things like data plans, remote vehicle access. Cloud-based content as well. A lot of things that we've been focusing on the heated seats. I know, which is quite a tangible thing here, but there's a lot of other services included in these subscriptions that are basically the same as the services you have to pay for as upgrades on your smartphone or computer. And that's something that you would you will be willing to open your wallet for. Yes.、Ah, and the answer is no from this side. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Only want the freebies. Paid upfront already. Period. <laughs> of course, everybody have their own opinions on this, and feel free to send us what you think, comments,、uh, suggestions about the show to ezfmroundtable@foxmail.com. Thank you so much, Josh Cotterall and Yu Shun for joining the discussion. I'm He Yang. We'll see you next time. 